The Apprenticeship of Giuseppe Lupo, written by Youssef L. Deeb, narrated by Jason Melnichuk. Intro Part 1. Meet Giuseppe Lupo. Daydreaming, I imagined how I'd start writing this story. His story. The person we call Gio. Giuseppe Lupo. I'd start with a bold, mesmerizing paragraph to grip the reader. I'd write words that would make Ernest Hemingway jealous. Here and now, you and I will embark on an adventure. I will share with you his story, this hero of mine, and you will share with me your time and attention. Giuseppe Lupo. Remember this name well. He was the man who told me about his adventures in the school of life, his apprenticeship, as he liked to call it. Here are his stories, the man who taught me so much about life by telling me about his. Gio. That was his nickname. So are you ready for a story involving high sea adventures, torture, kidnapping, war, love, and finally murder? Yes, murder. But no, no one really dies here, only my ego. He slaughtered my ego so many years ago. His loud, raspy voice pulled me back to reality. Yeah, Bakshish, daydreaming again? No, no, I'm just, I answered, embarrassed. Why don't you lift that anchor of yours and go get another notebook? We are about to leave Naples. Gio had noticed that I had run out of pages. He was careful that I didn't miss any tiny morsel of his colorful life story. Now you may think that traveling means journeying on a plane or a train, or maybe even by car or bus, and I wouldn't blame you for thinking this. Isn't that how we do it? That night, when I first met Giuseppe Lupo and listened to his fanciful tale, I learned that we could travel to magical, faraway places and experience thrills without ever leaving our place. This, right here, exactly where you are sitting. In my case, it was his large, well-lit, smoke-filled basement. Giuseppe Lupo's, that is. Gio is a funny, tall, gregarious and husky man with a jagged face, rough as if worn out by many years of sun and sea. He was around fifty-five at the time, and we were in our twenties. He towered over us, not only in height and age, but in that other thing that's much more important, life experience. Listening to his stories, for us he became a Robinson Crusoe, Sindbad, Neil Armstrong, plus Ernest Hemingway all wrapped into one. We came to learn that he was a man of many varied talents and crafts. For a short stint, he was a sailor, and he liked to think that it made him a sailor for life. He usually wore turtleneck sweaters, and over time we laughed that he must have a collection of all the shades of blue, much like the colors of the sea, like the sailor that he once was. When we visited him, and by we, I mean my small band of university colleagues, all three of us boys, he often had us in constant laughter at his infectious, tall tales of unbelievable adventures. His edge-of-your-seat stories crossed countries and continents, ventured to forbidden oceans and traversed war zones. We excitedly took it all in as we wrote notes for our class. We had to write it all down. 
Standing tall, he would often jab me in the ribs, and he did this every time we visited, singling me out from the group. The first time he did it, he barked at me. Yusuf, what kind of name is that? I prefer to call you Bakshish. He dragged out the that to the amusement of my friends. They would respond in chorus what he had always repeated. Did your parents steal my name? He was amused by the identical translation of our names in very different languages, his Italian to my Arabic. He named me Bakshish in memory of his trip to Cairo to see the pyramids, where he was accosted by half a dozen trinket sellers. But I don't like to be called by that word, Bakshish, I resisted. It's like me being a handout, a generosity. Am I an afterthought? I stood up to leave. Sit down, he commanded. You're so naive, still wet behind your ears. Answer me. Are you healthy? Yes. Are you hungry? No. Breathing? I didn't know how to answer. Where was he going with this? But next, out of his mouth came one of his simple layman philosophies about life, one of the many that have dictated and reverberated in my own life ever since. Habibi, if you are healthy, still breathing and your stomach is full, then that's all you need, and so anything else that life gives you, every other single thing, well, that's extra. These are blessings. Tips. Like gifts. A bakshish. Capiche? In many ways, for me to have you kids as an audience to hear my stories and write about them is a blessing. A big, huge bakshish for me. So, how did I meet Gio? Or more importantly, why did I meet Gio? And how did he come into my life and have such a strong impact on me? Our university had a unique educational mandate. One of its patrons, a lady, bequeathed a few million dollars to the university, money that she had made dozens of years earlier in the northern fur trade. She stipulated that the students in the arts must meet and spend time learning from active professionals in their field. This was to balance out the theoretical aspects of the teachers and curriculums. And so, every student had to spend a few weeks visiting the appointed active professional. For my film writing class, our teacher, Hans Drup, sent us to meet an old friend of his, Gio. He's a natural storyteller, that Giuseppe, almost a no formal education, yet I guarantee that each one of you will learn more from him to help you improve your writing than from any fancy textbook or even from me. And so, once a week for a whole year, we visited Gio's house on Brook Avenue. There the drinks flowed and the stories followed, both in buckets. He was generous with both. For those two or three hours, he led us on an exciting roller coaster of his life story, and we would spend the following week writing his stories out as we chatted, excitedly recalling snippets of what latest adventure he had revealed to us. His storytelling followed his life journey without any clear chronology. He would begin speaking about any phase of his life that tickled and turned his fancy that night. Have you ever really tasted tomatoes? I was born on a silvery full moon night on a cozy farmhouse near the port of Naples. There my father grew the sweetest tomatoes on the ash-fed slopes of Mount Vesuvius. You know, that dreaded volcano. 
we grew the sweetest tomatoes in the universe. Raphael, San Marzano, Del Pianolo. Listen to these names, ah, music to my ears. In Sorrento, my late uncle Giacomo, a pianist, played accompaniment for the greatest Enrico Caruso, the two of them alone in his hotel room during his last days. You know of the great Caruso? He was then at the peak of his operatic success. Heard the song about him? Gio's gregarious nature translated into a husky, sweet voice that was always set to one level, loud. And with every story Gio told us, we saw him acted out with his arms stretched out, gesticulating and moving here and there, as if he were organizing furniture and props for his story to sink in. That night, he sang a verse about the legendary Caruso, in Italian, then translated it for us. Midway, his beautiful daughter Julia, the one we all had the hots for, snuck down to the basement to join him in song. This was the home he made with his wife, Andrea. It was a warm place of story, song, dance, and most of all, laughter. By the way, Andrea, who we will learn a lot more about later, made the meanest, reddest, and thickest bolognese sauce. It must be in her DNA, their common heritage from their youth in Naples. Chidove il mare luciaca, e tira forte il vanto, su una vecchia terrazza, davanti al golfo di Suriento, un uomo abbraccia una ragazza, dopo che aveva pianto, poesi sciaccarse la voce, e ricomincia il canto. He whispered, Listen, this is what we just sang. He paused, then repeated, Listen, listen, these are words dedicated to the dying Caruso, the greatest voice that ever lived. I'll translate. Here, where the sea glistens and the wind blows hard on an old terrace in front of the Sorrento Gulf, a man embraces a girl after having cried. Then he clears his throat and restarts the song. For a moment, I thought that I could see a hint of moisture in his eyes. Now, tell me, have you ever heard more beautiful words? This was many, many years ago, and here I am now, and I'm more or less around the same age he was when we first met. Last week, as I was organizing my books and papers, I discovered my notebooks from that course. I haven't read them since. They're now yellowed and tattered, aged like me. Some of the pages are stuck together from all the years of neglect and from a large pot of coffee that was spilled on them along the way. I feel that I should retell Gio's tales. I owe him this, for he has given me so much. Among the notes, I found a tattered scrap of paper. On it, I read a quote from that creative writing class that our Professor Hans had taped on the wall for all to see. It's by the 18th century composer, Franz Schubert. When I wished to sing of love, it turned to sorrow. And when I wished to sing of sorrow, it was transformed for me into love. I will search the rest of my notes for his stories, and send them your way in chapters whenever I'm done cooking bolognese. 